Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up right now, and I want you to turn in them in the middle of your Bible to Psalm number 23. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn in it in the front part to page 401, and you would be at Psalm number 23. Now, last week we began a a new study of the most well-known, most quoted, most revered psalm over the last 3,000 years, which is Psalm number 23. And you know, in this psalm, it talks about how the Lord is our shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And as we read through that, we can appreciate the tone of serenity and calmness that there is in Psalm 23. But what is amazing is that we appreciate it when, in one sense, the analogy that is in this psalm is very foreign to us in the United States and in suburban America. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're in a third world country, and people in this third world country have never heard of and they have never seen indoor plumbing. Now imagine we wrote a psalm that went like this, the Lord is my plumber, I shall not lack running water, he makes my toilet flush. He leads me to my sink filled with stilled water. He restores my lawn. Now, if you lived in the third world, you might think that sounds very encouraging and very comforting and very peaceful, but you'd be going, I don't really know what it's all about. It would be hard to fully grasp it without really understanding the analogy that is behind it. And the same thing is true for Psalm 23. Because the analogy of shepherds and sheep is very foreign to Western culture. And even those in Western culture who do raise sheep today do it in a very different manner from Middle Eastern shepherds who would care for their flock. You see, a Middle Eastern shepherd would personally lead, protect, and feed his sheep. He would never leave them alone. A Middle Eastern shepherd was with them 24 hours every day. And a Middle Eastern shepherd would know each sheep individually, and they would know their own shepherd's voice. So we're involved in a series that we have entitled, The God Who Is There. And uh, I want to encourage you to pick up one of these outlines if you don't have one. The little yellow sheets are on the table in the, in the gathering hall, which gives you the outline of Psalm 23. But we're learning about how he is our great shepherd. And today in Psalm 23, we come to verse 1 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So here's the plan for this morning. We're going to do basically two things. Number one, we're going to spend some time looking at the analogy of a shepherd and the sheep because we want to be understanding what's going on here. And then the second thing we're going to spend some time looking at is the startling reality that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that is a startling statement. All right, so you know where we're going. We're going to look at the analogy 
and then we're going to look at the startling reality. So let's begin by looking at the analogy, and the analogy, of course, is that God is our shepherd, and as the people of God, we are His sheep. Now, as far as we can tell when we look at the Bible, Jacob was the very first one in the book of Genesis to make this analogy for God being a shepherd and us being sheep. When he was blessing his sons in Genesis 48, 15, he said, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Now, we are really uncertain whether David one day was reading what Jacob said, and that triggered a thought about shepherds and sheep in his mind. Or maybe it was simply a case of David being a shepherd. Remember, he was a shepherd in his youth, and by that experience, he knew everything about sheep. Wherever it originated, whether David got some of the idea from Jacob or David was just reflecting, David is definitely the one that developed this analogy in the Bible. And I like the way writer, uh, writer David Roper puts it. He pictures it this way. As a shepherd of the sheep, David was reflecting, and he was thinking this. He thought of the incessant care that sheep require. He thought of their helplessness and their defenselessness. And David recalled their foolish straying from safe paths and their constant need for a guide. And he thought of the time and the patience it took for sheep to trust a shepherd before they would follow. And he remembered the times when David had led them through danger and they huddled close at his heels. And David pondered the fact that he must actually think for his sheep, fight for them, guard them, and find them pasture and quiet pools. He remembered their bruises and their scratches that he bound up. And he marveled at how frequently he had to rescue them from harm. Yet, not one of David's sheep was aware of how well it was watched. Yes, he mused, God is very much like a good shepherd. And so that's the analogy. God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Now, when we hear that, I mean, the truth of the matter of, of it is, is that most of us don't really want to be identified as sheep. I don't know about you, but I would be rather something cool, something aggressive, something dominating. You know, when you look at nations, the United States of America has as its image the eagle. If you look at Britain, it has as its mascot, really, the lion. If you look at Russia... Russia, it has the bear. You can look high and low through all the nations, and you're never going to find a nation that has a sheep as a picture of that country. You know, you see it a lot even in our sports teams and our athletic teams here in the United States. You have names like the Lions, the Bears, the Jaguars. You have the Bulldogs, the Ravens, the Seahawks. We even have names like the beavers and the ducks and the horned frogs and the anteaters, but there are no sheep connected with sports teams. Now, if you're really sharp, you might be thinking, now, wait a minute, what about the St. Louis Rams? Well, I want you to know that a ram 
was an uncastrated male, kind of a macho sheep, very different from the regular sheep and from a lamb. What, if, what would happen if someone came up to you and said, who's your team playing this week? And you said, the sheep. We're playing the sheep. You know, the Bible tells us that we can learn from and gain insight from animals. In Proverbs 6.6, 6, it tells us, observe the ants. See, when you look at the ants, you find out that they're very industrious and they're very organized. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6.26, observe the birds. They don't get uptight. They're not anxious, and yet God provides for them. And I think the Bible wants us to learn some insight regarding sheep. And as we learn about sheep, one thing you're going to learn, sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Now, why is that? Well, I'm going to give you several reasons why sheep need a shepherd. Here's the first reason. Sheep are dense, okay? Sheep are dense. You know, you will go to various events. You might go to circus, other things. You will see trained dogs. You will see uh, trained tigers and lions. You will see trained horses. You never see trained sheep, right? Because they are dense. Sheep are dense. They are easily lost. Sheep are prone to wander. Sheep have very poor eyesight. I mean, they're so dense that they could actually wander right off of the edge of a cliff. Sheep have no homing instinct whatsoever. You may have a, a horse that gets loose from its stable, but it might return back to its field. You can have a, a cow that gets loose and it's possible that cow would come back to the barn. That's not going to happen with a sheep. Sheep are dense. They need to be led to pasture. They need to be led to drink. They're, they're so dense that they're indiscriminate about what they consume. They will readily consume something that is harmful to them. They just don't know any better. And if left alone, what's interesting about sheep is they will not only consume the grass, they will pull the grass up basically by the roots and ruin a whole field because sheep are dense. Sheep don't learn from their mistakes. Let me repeat that. Sheep don't learn from their mistakes. Any of that sound vaguely familiar at all? Isaiah 53.6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to their own way. So the reason why sheep need a shepherd, number one, sheep are dense. Number two, sheep are dirty. Sheep are dirty. They're among the few animals that are out there that don't clean themselves. So many animals will do that. Sheep need help being cleaned. Uh, they get a lot of dirt and debris stuck in their wool. They cannot get it out themselves. They need help. Think about you and think about me. Left to ourselves, we are prone to sin. And we need help getting clean. Begin to see why we have this analogy, right? 
Sheep are dense. Sheep are dirty. Third reason why sheep need a shepherd is that sheep are defenseless. They are defenseless. A sheep has no claws. A sheep has no ability to run and hide from danger. Many animals do. A sheep has no venom to be a threat to protect itself. A sheep has no noxious odors that they can propel at a potential enemy. Sheeps don't naturally hang in packs either. Uh, and sometimes being in a pack of, of animals will protect you, but sheep tend to wander. Sheep lack a keen sense of hearing. Some animals have such a keen sense of hearing that, that they can avoid danger. They lack a keen sense of smell. Some animals use that. They don't have that. They lack a keen sense of strength. They don't have that either at all. In fact, sheep are very prone to be fearful. Sheep are prone to be very timid and helpless. Highly vulnerable, by the way, to parasites, sheep are. You can almost see why, because you have that wool and parasites can get in there and, and, and they just can't, they can't even rub against a tree to get the parasite off of themselves, just the way they are. In fact, there are reports of sheep being so defenseless of crows actually landing on a sheep and poking out the sheep's eyes. And the sheep doesn't do anything. It just stands there. Sheep are defenseless. And we, the Bible says, are like sheep. See the way it works? And because we are like sheep, we need a shepherd. We need someone to provide for us, to guide us, and to protect us. And so that, men and women, is the analogy. We are like sheep. Therefore, we need a great shepherd. And the amazing truth is that we have one. In fact, it is the startling reality of verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. By the way, we could probably spend a month looking at this verse, but we won't. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I want to pull out in that very first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, several words. There are key words in that statement. The first one is the word Lord. You'll notice in most of your Bibles, it should be all capitalized. It's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is the word in the Hebrew, Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. It refers to the God who was, who is, and who always will be. It's talking about the God who created the universe just by speaking words. Yahweh is the one who hung the stars and the moon and the sun. He is the unchallenged king. He is the one who is eternal and immortal and invisible. 
In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in Daniel chapter 4 talked about Yahweh God, and he said there, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he said, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing before him. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He is the awesome ruler of the entire universe. And in the Old Testament era, they understood that. In fact, the name of Yahweh was considered to be so high and so holy that they wouldn't actually pronounce the word when they were reading the scriptures in the Old Testament times. In fact, they would come to the word Yahweh and they would pronounce it with the word Adonai, which is another name for Lord. They would not even say the name because it was so high, it was so holy. In fact, by the way, when they would transcribe, you know, when they would copy the scriptures in the Old Testament, the scribes, before they would write the word Yahweh in the text, would go and take a bath. And then after they wrote the word Yahweh in the text, they would destroy the writing instrument. Are you beginning to get the sense of what David's talking about here when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He not only is the God who's the awesome creator and ruler of all of the universe, but Yahweh is a name of God who is the personal God, the God of relationship. Yahweh is pictured as the God of love and the God of compassion and the God of forgiveness and the God of faithfulness. I like what Max Lucado has to say. He says this, God, our shepherd, doesn't check the weather. He makes it. He doesn't defy gravity. He created it. Does he fear an earthquake? Does he tremble at a tornado? Hardly. Yahweh sleeps through storms and calms the winds with a word. Counselors can comfort you in the storm, but you need a God who can still the storm. Friends can hold your hand at your deathbed, but you need a Yahweh who has defeated the grave. Philosophers can debate the meaning of life, but you need a Lord who can declare the meaning of life. You need a God who can place 100 billion stars in our galaxy and 100 billion galaxies in the universe. You need a God who can shape a flesh the size of two fists into 75 to 100 billion nerve cells, each with as many as 10,000 connections to other nerve cells, and place it in a skull and call it a brain. And you need a God who while so mind-numbingly mighty, can come in the soft of night and touch you with the tenderness of April snow. The Lord, Yahweh, is the opposite end of the spectrum from the Wizard of Oz. You remember the Wizard of Oz was a poser He was a wimp. 
You go to the opposite end of the spectrum and you have Yahweh God himself. It is, is it any wonder that in Hebrews 13, 6, it says, the Lord Yahweh is my helper. I will not be afraid. Verse 1, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the second key word in this opening statement is the word my. And by the way, it's structured in the original language to be very emphatic. The Lord is my shepherd. He is not a shepherd. He is not the shepherd. He is not even, David is saying here, our shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. His focus and his care is on you. Robert Morgan tells a great story of two men who were hiking and... uh, in Great Britain, in Wales. And as they were hiking, they came across a boy in the mountains there who was keeping his sheep. So they stopped these two guys, and they were talking with this young shepherd about shepherding. And somehow, as they were talking, the conversation shifted to this very passage, Psalm 23. And one of the men told the boy, give me a little tip here if you want to remember The first phrase of Psalm 23, think of the five fingers of your left hand. And he said, and let each word stand for one finger. And wherever you may be, then you can meditate on Psalm 23, 1, by grasping each finger one at a time with your right hand. So they actually showed him how to do it. So he said, here's the way it works. He grabbed his thumb and he says, that stands for thee. And then the next finger he grabbed, and he said, that stands for the Lord. And then you had the middle finger, and that stands for is. And then what we call the ring finger is my. And then finally, you have the last finger, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Wonderful little time that they had. A year went by. And the men came back on another hiking trip. And one time they were at one of those little cafes, a little wayfaring house, and they wanted to get a cup of tea before they went out there. And to their surprise, on the table was a picture of the very boy that they had met a year before. And they inquired about that, and the woman that was there said, yes, that was my son. He died last winter in a storm. What had happened is he fell down a cliff, and we believe he laid there for quite a long time, and later on he died, and it was a number of days later that we found him there. But she said there was very something strange about it, and we've really never understood. She said, when we found his body, his right hand was grasping the fourth finger on his left hand. And the men said, yeah, we understand what was going on. 
And so they related the story to her of what they had been saying. And what had happened is the, girl, the boy, in gripping his finger, was reminding himself, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. It's interesting how we wear a wedding ring on that fourth finger, and it reminds us of the personal and exclusive relationship that we have with the one that we love. A little word in English. Martin Luther once said that the heart of Christianity is seen in its personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. That ought to make your jaw drop. You know what that's saying? It's saying that you are the apple of his eye. That you are under his personal care. The third key word in that first phrase, of course, is the word shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? It means that he is committed to lead and to feed you, to provide and protect for you, to tenderly care for you. In Middle Eastern culture, it means that he's going to walk in front of you. He will at times be walking in the midst next to you. And his commitment to you is very clear. He will never leave you alone. He will nurse you when you are sick and when you are injured. He will chase after you when you stray, and he will bring you back home. What an incredible truth. The Lord is my shepherd. And then there's so much in that. It's, it's very exciting, by the way. There's a whole depth of truth here to mind. I want to just give you some information. I want you to write this stuff down. You can look it up and think about it later. The Lord is my shepherd. He is called in the Bible the good shepherd. You can look it up in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. His goodness is connected to the cross. And as the good shepherd, he delivers us, now follow this, he delivers us from the penalty of sin. As the good shepherd, he delivers us from the penalty of sin. But he is also called the great shepherd. He is the great shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 when it talks about the great shepherd who was brought up from the dead. And as the great shepherd, he enables us. He is at work in us. And his greatness connects back to the resurrection. And as the great shepherd, he delivers us from the power of sin. You follow on this? The good shepherd delivers us from the penalty of sin. His goodness goes back to the cross. The great shepherd, his greatness goes back to the resurrection, and he delivers us. He's at work inside of us to deliver us from the power of sin. And then, thirdly in the Scriptures, he is called the chief shepherd. 
1 Peter 5, 4 says that. The chief shepherd who is coming again in glory, just as we were singing it earlier. And he is the chief shepherd because of his royalty. He is the all-time ruler of the universe. And as the chief shepherd, he is going to come back again and deliver us from the presence of sin. Do you see how all that works? He is so totally complete. The good shepherd who delivers us from the penalty of sin, the great shepherd who delivers us from the power of sin, and the chief shepherd who will deliver us from the presence of sin. The Lord is my shepherd. Men and women, this is incredible. Let me ask you the question. Whom do you rely on in your life? Do you rely? Some people rely on other people. Some people will rely on their job. That's what I'm really putting my trust in. Some people rely on their IQ. I'm so smart. Some people rely on their education. Some people rely on their money. But you know what? If you rely on people, your job, your IQ, education, or money, it will eventually lead you to frustration to disillusionment, and to disappointment because those things are not worthy of being relied upon. But the Lord is my shepherd forever, forever. Now, I want you to notice there's one more statement that's there in verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd And then he says, I shall not want. I like the way the Living Bible puts it. I have everything I need. You see, he is the all-sufficient one. He is our all in all. His resources are inexhaustible. His personal care is undiminishable. He is there. Even in the most minor, minute details of your life, He is there. He will never desert you. And as you find yourself facing challenges, He will not be off napping somewhere under the tree of life. He is there for you. And all that happens in your life, He superintends. It's part of His purpose. He is the anchor in every storm. He provides the grace that we need for whatever place we find ourselves in. This is incredible. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What an awesome statement he makes. For many years in a lot of communities, um, they have pastors who will give the titles of their messages uh, to the newspaper. And uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, this practice happened, and what they would do there is the, the pastor would call in his sermon title. So the Reverend R.I. Williams of Fairmont Park Methodist Church picked up the phone and uh, called the newspaper to give him his sermon topic, and he said, here's my sermon topic, the Lord is my shepherd. And the person on the other end said, is that all? And the Reverend Williams said, that's enough. And the next day, when the church page came out, it carried his sermon topic as, the Lord is my shepherd, that's enough. And it's so true. 
It's so true. That's really what David is saying. The Lord is my shepherd, and that's enough. Now, David is going to give us a lot more detail, a lot more detail. And we're going to look next week, Lord willing, at the God who satisfies, the God who satisfies. But as we end today, I want to look at some life application. And the life application I have in mind involves an appeal, it involves a challenge, and it involves a response. And so here's the first life application, and it's an appeal. And it involves this question, is Jesus your shepherd? See, it's one thing to know about a shepherd. I've heard about the shepherd. It's another thing to say, he is my shepherd. And God has provided a path to him being your shepherd, and that path is called the cross. You see, on that cross, on that cross, he died in your place. He took the penalty that you and I deserve to have placed upon us by a holy and righteous God and he died for you. And not only did he die, he rose again for you. And what he wants you to do is to believe in that, to trust in that, to count on that. It doesn't mean you have to do something magical. It simply means that you come to the point in your life when you say, I want him to be my shepherd. And you can do that in your heart right now, right where you sit. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to ask you to get up, run around, say anything. Just in your heart to be able to say, I want to believe in, to trust in, and count on the fact that Christ died for me. And that he rose again. And my sins can be forgiven because of what he did. And when you do that, in your heart, he will become your shepherd. Second part of life application is a challenge. And here's the challenge. I'm going to ask you the question, are you a sheep that strayed? Now, maybe you're a sheep that strayed and everybody else knows that you've strayed. Maybe you're a sheep that strayed, but only really you and God know that because some things have been happening in private that only he knows about. But if you are a sheep that has strayed, I want you to just know this. It's time to come home today. And I want you to know the shepherd's arms are open. He's ever ready to receive a lamb of his back into close fellowship with him. And then lastly, by way of life application, is a response. And I would simply say this. The response is to express your gratitude to him. The Lord is my shepherd. Don't you think you ought to be thanked for that? Don't you think you ought to worship him for that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this powerful, powerful psalm that has been there for 3,000 years, blessing people. We are so 
utterly grateful for it. And Father, we would pray that nobody walks away from here without knowing Jesus as the shepherd. That can happen this morning now, just by what transpires in someone's heart. We pray that there wouldn't be anybody leave here today who's a sheep that has strayed, and the shepherd's calling them back. May they not harden their heart. And Father, for all of us that are here, may we express gratitude to you for the incredible truth that you are our shepherd. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.